0: Dude. Oh, good.
1: Peace and blessings, good people, and welcome to Father Shield, a podcast on fatherhood in 20 today. I am your host, Fleming.
2: And I am Ms. Vaughn. And today we have uh, two special guests. We have Ms. Sandra Bonds and then Mr. Anthony Thomas. Thank you guys for uh, coming on to Father Shield. Thank you for having us.
0: Good afternoon. Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah. So um, Bonds, could you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our lovely audience? I can. I am Lysandra Vines. I am a product of St. Louis Public Schools. I graduated from Lake University of Missouri, HBCU, Go Blue Tigers. Um, I have a master's in school counseling, a master's of school administration, and I am all but dissertation for my um, doctorate in school leadership and organization. I am working on that currently. My like girl, magic, yes. <laughs> I have worked in St. Louis Public Schools uh, for sixteen years. I left. No, I'm sorry, for ten years. I left St. Louis Public Schools in 2006 and moved to Durham, North Carolina. I worked at Kestrel Heights, which was a charter school, a K-12 charter school, um, and I worked there for 10 years, and then um, two and a half years ago, I took over as principal for Quality Education Institute, which is a small, black, Christian school located in Durham, and I love what I do. Hey, now, Thank you. Hi. Mr. Thomas.
0: Yes, uh, good afternoon and thanks again for having us. My name is Anthony Thomas. I am in my 18th school year as an educator. I started out teaching students who are deaf and hard of hearing um, in Chicago public schools. That was my major at Northern Illinois University.
2: Hi, Malawaski.
0: Hey, Huskies, yes, that's the sign language for Huskies. We got a sign, Huskies. Uh, So, yeah, I attended there, NIU, and um, afterwards uh, as working uh, with Students of the Deaf at Prosser Career Academy, Chicago Public Schools, Mm -hmm. I then went on to Northeastern Illinois University to get my master's in school counseling, Mm -hmm. and uh, my wife and I, of 17 years, we have three children. Uh, a son who's 15, two daughters who are 13 and eight years old, soon to be 14. Our oldest daughter's birthday is mm-hmm. coming up. And we moved to South Suburban, Chicago, where I switched school districts. And, uh, uh-oh. and um, I am now a guidance counselor at an alternative high school in mm-hmm. uh, Township High School District 205. And this is the fifth year of our alternative program. And I've been there since the inception of that. Um, Later went back and got my type 75 and educational leadership and administration at Governor State University. And um, decided that I would just stick with counseling a little bit longer. I think what helped me with that is in 2015, uh, my wife and I planted a church and uh, spoken word fellowship. And just this past July, we became the senior pastor of the amazing Calvary Covenant Church of Chicago. And so uh, we do that when we're not doing school counseling. And then uh, also uh, on the side, this January, May, one year that my wife and I launched Thomas Consulting and Counseling Services. And so we do lots of consulting for uh, quite a few different things. And so we have an umbrella that we use. I do some freelance editing. I've helped two published authors so far. Um, and there's some counseling on the side some therapy uh, on the side and then my lovely wife and I for three years now we have a Facebook live podcast that we do called Let's Do Life and we just talk about everyday real topics that uh, people live through, journey through, walk through and we always have like a Christian perspective about it you know because as Christians we do have to go through life Um, and so we do that together she and I and lastly I I am a freshman. I am back in school. I am a week away from finishing my first semester of a Master's of Divinity program here in Chicago at uh, North Park Seminary. Y'all fancy. Okay. Thank you. I don't know about that doctor like vines, but you know, we're good. <laughs> And let me sure. let
2: me say, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me let me say, huh. I would be totally remiss if that if I did not include my family. I am the proud mother of yet two only children, and I say that because my son is 26, and I have a nine year old daughter. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to bring you back just so you know that gap. That gap ain't no joke. <laughs> It is oh, Okay. Okay. It's being a parent all over again. Yeah. I've been married for fourteen years. Okay.
0: That's awesome.
2: So awesome. as
1: counselors, y'all are kinda like frontline when it comes to to kids and what you see, if you could give us just a, I guess, an idea as into what what is the biggest challenge that you see with kids who come from co-parenting situations?
2: You wanna go first, Mr. Thomas?
1: Hmm. Sure, I'll I'll go first. Um, I think
0: one of the 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 biggest challenges that I have experienced uh, as a school counselor is breaking through to the culture of the students. I, ha- I have learned over the years that our students present uh, with a culture that is not necessarily the same as number one, the, the counselor, him or herself, and a culture that may or may not be the same as the uh, theoretical approach of the school or program. And I say that because, uh, again, I'm in an alternative high school, and our entire program is based on restorative justice practices. Mm -hmm. And so that alone, even to the staff that had to be trained, is exposing children to a whole other culture. And so when they come from uh, street, when they come from, you know, raising themselves, when they come from uh, no parent, a parent, two parents, it's it's diverse, right, where they come from. But as a counselor, I find out, especially at the high school level, that our young people have a difficult time trusting. And so the challenge, to answer the question more directly, that I think for me, one of the bigger challenges that I face is building that trust enough to be able to break in to understand their culture. I'm not trying to change them through their culture, per se. Right, I just right. want to know where you come from. How do you present? Which is a counseling technique anyway in the beginning. But what are you presenting with so that I know how to best serve you as your counselor.
2: And that's so funny because for me, my first job, fresh out of college, 22 years old, was at the high school that I graduated from in the neighborhood that I lived in all of my life. My situation was really different in that I taught for six years. I taught high school social studies for six years. And then I became a counselor just because somebody left. And so what ended up happening was those were my siblings, friends that I was now working with. Those were my, my friends' children, my friends' younger siblings, you know, just people in the neighborhood that I grew up with. It was different for me because when I went to my high school, when I was in school, it was an international study school. And so we had people from all literally all over the world would come and go to this high school because it was about languages and it was about experience and it was about culture. But when I went back, it was it was like 96% black. The neighborhood had changed, the structure of the school had changed and it was really going down. And so um, all the little neighborhood gangs were there. We had something like 76 noted gangs in our school. Hmm. And when I was there, of course we had security but when I went back, we had two police officers in addition to eight guards, right? And so we were, um, it was easier for them to come to me and say, you know, Miss Lee, you know, such and such said something to me because he didn't like this, that and the other. And I'm like, but this is where you were. You knew, you know, streetwise what you were doing was wrong, but you knew coming into this environment here you are supposed to be able to put that down, leave it outside, come to school, get your education and go. But you know, my mama said, I understand what your mother said. You Cause I grew up with your mother. I grew up with, mm. you don't let nobody hit you. You know, you, you don't let nobody throw the first link you got to throw. And so I understood where they were coming from. But at the same time, My thing was to change their perspective because I wanted them to know you can be in the streets and not of the streets. You don't have to live this life forever. You can want a whole lot more. And I want that for you. And what that means is you got to do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. That means you have to be here. You have to be prepared. And you got to learn when to talk and when not to talk without fear of seeming that you're trying to assimilate too quickly or too harshly or to become like you're acting white, which is which was a huge thing for them. You know, and so trust wasn't an issue for me for those kids while I was there. The issue was really more breaking down the culture, like you said, of yeah, I grew up fighting, but I was a nerd. I never wanted to fight. I had to fight because of where I grew up. I want to go to school. I want to do better. I want to live better. I don't want to have to worry about somebody looking for me. I don't want to worry about somebody looking for you. So what can we do together to make sure that you still feel like you're man enough, girl enough, tough enough, whatever enough, that you can live in this neighborhood, but you can get out of what's happening in the neighborhood. It made it easier for me. It was harder for me when I came here to North Carolina because I didn't know these kids. I didn't know anybody but my husband when I moved to North Carolina. And just moving here and having to reestablish trust and to see what the culture is. And ultimately what I found out for me, is that all kids want the same thing. They want to do well, they want adults to like them, and they want respect. And if you start from that point, that standpoint of, I'm going to respect you, you're going to respect me, and we're going to build a relationship, it just has been an easy kind of switch for me. But it was very difficult in the beginning because my culture is not Southern at all, and being in the South.
1: southern ways are definitely different. I um I was born in in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but I grew up in Oakland, California. My summers were on a truck with my grandfather and heading back to new orleans and it was this culture shift and you know we spoke about it in one of the previous episodes where my seventh grade year i chose to go and live with my father um and i went to school in baton rouge and such a culture shock mm-hmm. of mindset freedom to say certain things mm-hmm. the blatant disrespect of of black folks from others you don't deal with that in california <laughs> yeah. you know so it's definitely uh so i, I t- totally understand, understand what you mean mean by having to adjust uh there the as you guys were t- talking the get trust that's a, mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge one to t- touch on do you think that the trust comes or the lack of trust on their part comes from Obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously, but does it come from necessary the situation? You know, as far as home situation, when it comes to to trusting anyone outside of that, um, because obviously, you know, as counselors, I would assume that you you have you guys have the best interest in in mind for the kids. So, in in showing them that uh, and trying to get them to to see that, what's the top three techniques that you use to to deal with that? Wow.
2: <laughs> i think you got him stuck on that one
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was waiting to see a vines go ahead jump in
2: <laughs> well for me the top three things that i use are the things that i would want for myself and for my children that's how i approach interacting with students how would i want an adult to respond to something that my child needed and if it was a lack of trust that my child had, what would I expect from the adult? I would expect them to be honest. Mm-hmm. Don't tell my child a lie. If you don't like him or her, it's okay. I have taught my child that not everybody is going to like you. Mm-hmm. Be honest. That when you come to me and you're like, I, I want to be a an engineer. Okay, babe, let's look at how, you- why you want to be an engineer, but you never passed a math class. We got to deal with that to get over the fact because, you know, engineering is rooted in math. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we get here? Do you think Mm -hmm. it's possible? Because I would never tell you it's impossible, but I'm going to ask you, are you willing to do the work? I'm gonna always be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you a story. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you. I'm going to be very honest. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, as far as my interactions with children. I'm going to love you even if I don't like you. And it's a huge misconception that people are mm-hmm. like, counselors like everybody. Uh, <laughs> teachers like everybody. That's not true. That's not true. I need to say, it. everybody has their favorites. Everybody has those keys that come in and you think it to yourself, Lord, have mercy. Here he or she comes again. But I'm still going to love you because I still feel like you still are somebody. I look at it from... The standpoint, and this is gonna sound so crazy, but I look at it from the standpoint of um, the virgin Mary, right? Here you had this teenage girl that's pregnant, and she's saying, God, her father, God, your baby daddy, what? Like, you know, (laughs) you can stand in judgment of that, right? Like, you can stand in judgment of that, or you can realize that the baby is the blessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your struggle is your blessing because whatever it is you're struggling with, if you come over that, if you can build yourself beyond that, you are going to be an amazing, whatever you want to be. Mm. And so I can't judge you for your struggle because your struggle isn't mine. So we just have to understand that I have to love you and provide you with whatever it is you need at that time. And if it's, not the honesty, if it's not being me authentically, it's going to be the fact that I love you. I'm going to make sure that you're fed. I'm going to make sure that nobody else is mistreating you. I'm going to make sure that, you know, you have whatever resources you need for your classes or whatever, but I'm going to be a listening ear at the same time. Being an advocate for children, I don't get into parental disputes, and I tell parents all the time, you're not a great parent. She's not a great parent. I'm here on behalf of this child. And if you are not going to do the absolute best for your child, then I have to. Mm-hmm. And if that means calling in external resources, then that's just what I have to do. I have got to make sure that your child is loved in enough uh, in a environment that he or she is nurtured and feel safe. So that's just what I'm going to do. And not tell them the same thing. If you skip in school and doing wrong, I'm going to call your parents. I'm going to tell on you. Because I love you enough to snitch. Right, right. I'm snitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's
0: true. I and I agree with uh with you, Vines, on on that exchange that you shared. Um and I will add, Fleming, you asked kind of two questions. And so the first one you dealt with the trust piece, right? Uh where where do we think that, that lack of trust comes from? Um and to that point, uh most of the students that I encounter um I have had to learn that I have to embrace them and their story first, right? Because I think a lot of times students, they come in and they meet the teacher, they meet the counselor, the principal, and then they kind of say, they're up here and I'm way down here. And they come in with this mindset that we're not quite the same, although I'm the same skin color as 99.8% 99.8% of the students that we service, that they they see it, right, and I see it. And we don't have the same story per se, but as we learn, um, and I had to challenge myself that you can't tell them where they're going. You can only give them information to begin to guide them and let them make the decisions. And so most of them, to the point of trust, most of the students they come guarded. they're, They're guarded when they walk in the door. They want the love. They want us to ask them questions. They want us to get into their world, but they're so guarded because they've been hurt, they've been betrayed, they've been broken, and they don't know necessarily, all of them, how to engage an adult. In a mm-hmm. in a way that that will build a trusting relationship, um, and then because their lives are different, uh, they they don't want to expose their truths. Some of the students that I did, and I've only been in high school for eighteen years. I will never go less than than ninth grade ever never. Okay. No to it's my my children's <laughs> to my children's parent teacher conferences. That's it. Okay, sure. but I've always been high school, and I learned that some of our students they have to protect their parents. Mm-hmm. They have. Have some family dynamics that they have to protect. They have some, siblings, they have street people they need to protect. So they're not coming. Like, hey, I'm finally glad I got a counselor. Let me tell you all of my business. Mm-hmm. And so, to the top, the techniques that I use, I think the three that I that I could share um, is number one is I build rapport with the students. Um, our program, our staff members are required to be in the hallway every morning when they get off the bus in the back of the door in the back of the building. They have to come through an L-shaped hall hallway and and there's staff members outside of every door and it's good morning how you doing and looking at that and you hear just the different personal conversations and my office is away from the classroom so I come out so that they get to see me so I build rapport by hallway interactions Uh, we we bring a game card into the lunchroom uh, uh, at lunchtime I'll sit I'll play uno we play Rummy we play whatever kind of games connect for build rapport there and then I go to classrooms often and I have little bitty conversations or stuff like that. And then the second thing that I do is I'm transparent with students. You know, when I have them in my office, if we're talking about something and I have a story about it, I'll share that with them. I keep pictures of my wife and our children in my office so that they, number one, they see that, yep, there's an African-American man that can maintain a marriage. That's a family, right? Not that we're post a family, but that they can see that. But then I'm also able to tell them challenges I'm having with my children. You know, I I'm transparent. If I got a teenager that's dealing with something, I say, hey, I'm still in that because I got a teenager at home and you just helped me help my son.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I, I share those moments with them to build trust. And then the last thing I'll say is that I ask hard questions. I ask them questions that many other adults outside of their home and their networks would probably wouldn't ask them. You know, I'll ask a young man, I, and, I, and I use this phrase, I'll, I'll say, are you a Pokemon?" And they'll be like, Mr. Thomas, what are you talking about? Are you out there just poking girls all willy nilly and you just having a good time in the world? Pokemon, man, you know. And then they they be like, Man, Mr. Thomas, you know, why why you gotta (laughs) so
2: I'm not expecting that one. Oh, yes. That was that that was good. That's good, time. that. That is a good one.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna have to borrow well, that. Yeah, we
2: have to borrow I, that. We've You, you made that a couple of times. Oh thank yes, are you a yeah. pokey oh, man? So
0: you know, I'll ask them those kind of hard questions to so throw them off. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, then if they answer, they answer. If they don't, they don't. You know, it's to their comfort level. But pretty much by that time, and you know, father should. I'm, I'm all. I talk very differently and much more candidly with my male students, obviously, than I do with my female students. Females, I'm teaching them how to make sure the guys treat you right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I ask them hard questions, and I expect real answers from them. You know, if they try to shy around it before they leave the office, I'm like, so you didn't answer my question today. I'm good with that, but when I see you next week, I won't answer, you know? So I, and so, I, and i see them in the hallway. I don't carry a lot of things from my one-on-ones with the students outside of the office. Um, I have a little trick I do with them. They probably all know it. You know, if you see me in the hallway, you could tell me thumbs up, everything's good. Thumbs to the side, you know, oh, whatever. Thumbs down is Mr. Thomas, come get me out of class because I need to talk. You know, that's just kind of my, and they could just do that on their own. And so those are the ways that I try to build trust uh, and relationship with them, I'm not the cool staff member. Our administrator is real cool. We play basketball with them and all of that. I'm not an athlete, so I don't connect with them that way. Uh, and I used to feel some kind of way about that. But you know what I learned? When the issues become the issues and they're ready, mm-hmm. they know they can go to Thomas, and mm-hmm. that's what matters the most. Mm-hmm. I don't got to be the coolest staff member in their eyes. I just need them to know that if I need him. He's there and he's available. And that, that's how I do it.
2: Absolutely. And when I think about it, <clears throat> I never set out to be the cool t- uh, anybody. Yeah. Never. Because I was so young when I first started that I looked yeah. like most of them. And that some of them, I was two years removed, you know, just two years older than them. I wanted to be for them what my counselor was not for me. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that every opportunity that came available that I gave them a chance. Hey, if, if you want to apply for this, absolutely, I'm going to help you apply for it. Somebody's like, oh, you wasting their time. I'm not wasting their time because if they don't learn anything else but how to fill out an application mm-hmm. completely and properly, then that's it. And so <clears throat> while we were filling out this application, we would be having conversations about it, but it was just that I'm not, I'm not going to ever shoot a kid's dream down, not ever. Because if you think enough of it, if you have thought enough about it, my thing is, okay, what's your plan? How can we make this come to life? How do we make this come to fruition? And in that, I'm just going to be me. Like, I'm just going to be honest and open and be like, uh... You want to be a doctor, but you hate science and math, and you really don't like blood. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> We, like, we going to need to see some other stuff. Right. Let's, look, yeah. let's look at whatever <laughs> branches of the sciences we can look at, and, it, and I'm able to do it in a way that at their level, because when I started, I was at their level, honestly. Um, I was still a, a little hood girl trying to, to educate kids on something that I enjoyed to make the things that I liked enjoyable for them. When I see social studies, I'm like, oh, we can do geography. We can do this. And they're like, this is what you're excited about? Yes, this is what I'm excited about. You know, you look at those things. And so I had to figure out how can I teach this in a way that these kids are going to enjoy it. And so while I was doing that, I was thinking about what I would have enjoyed. And I was always able to put myself in a kid's place because... In a in a school dynamic, a child can't win. If a kid hits you in the face and knocks you out, they have really lost. There's nothing left of them there. So my thing is, you can't. Well, I'm not gonna argue with you. You can't win. My, my place, my position is: how do I help you get into a position where you can win? Whether it's here at school, out on the street, at home with your mother, at home with your grandmother or whatever your situation may have been. I definitely grew up in, my church play, played a very big role. They, all, everyone went to college. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to college. It wasn't that I was the worst student, but I wasn't the best. And I, to be honest, I just didn't apply myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize like your freshman year no. literally stays your groundwork for the mm-hmm. rest of the year. Like if you mm-hmm. honestly take care of what you need to take care of your freshman year, you can really cope your junior and your senior. I didn't know that. So I was backwards because then it's like all of a sudden I started really trying my junior year and to realize how far I was from where I wanted to go. I remember my counselor was just like, okay, I said I want to go to college and she was just like, well, you're an average student. You can go here. And so I, you know, I had a couple of schools that I wanted to apply to and she was like, no, you won't make it there. And I'm just like... She was like, well, your grades is just not, you know, I'm not the best test taker. I'm not. In that, you know, she basically totally discouraged me. And instead of internalizing what she said, I literally went out. I applied for a bunch of schools. I got into all 10 schools that I applied to. I didn't go to, I wanted to go out of state, but I was broke. So I could only go, hence how I got to NIU. I was broke and them out-of-state fees ain't no joke. So Mm -hmm. as a counselor, I know that you guys get kids and they do, they have these big dreams and they'll see something on TV and TV makes it seem like, Oh, it'll happen like the next day. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you guys come in and you're just like, oh, sweet baby Jesus. I'm so sorry. I got to be a reality check, but you will not become a doctor. In two years, based off of ER, that you saw this one episode and right. you saved your life. So right. it's just, right. how, do you, how do you give them reality, but with, without, you know, crushing a dream? Well, when I was in high school, I meet with my kids. I was fortunate that here in Durham, uh, my school was small. My my entire high school had 362 kids um in high school 9 through 12 and so as early as september i go into the ninth grade english classes because all kids have to have ninth grade english so you go into your ninth grade english classes and the first thing i teach them is this is how you calculate your grade point average. Yeah. this is how you mess up your grade point average. Yeah. then the next class i go in and i take seniors with me And let the seniors tell them their experience. Let the seniors say, yo, I failed math twice. I had to go to night school. I had to pay for summer school. I had to do this. I had to do that. My grade point average is such and such. I want to go here, but I can't because my grades are so bad. So then at the end of the year, so when we get our first report card, I do grade point average checks. And I say, okay this is what you said you wanted to do this is the grade point average you have currently you got to make sure that you're ahead of the game with this then in october i saw all of my sophomores in november i saw all of my juniors in december i saw all of my seniors now that doesn't mean like in between there i wasn't meeting with other students because in august of whatever year it was i had a senior brunch and I invited parents in, and I invited students in, and I gave them parameters, and my parameters were simple. Was close enough and far enough that both of you all would be happy if your child goes to school. Was economically feasible for you and for your child, even if you have the money to afford it. Can you see investing two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 in your child right now, because that's what a four-year degree is on average costing now, and then where would you like for your child to go where would they like to go and where are you all okay with them going come up with that and then schedule an appointment with me after school so we need the first semester all i'm doing is meeting with parents students and staff members hey we got to make sure that such and such understands how to calculate a grade point average, what it means to have a grade point average. If you want to go to schools, these are the things you have to have starting with your freshman. If you don't start at freshman year and you don't, sister, I will send a letter home with the parent. Your child has passed. These four classes has failed. These two classes, what does this mean? If he or she does not improve, X, Y, Z is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Everybody was just kept in the loop. But my, senior brunch and those individual meetings with parents and students were the thing that helped everybody feel comfortable because in the beginning of the year, before school began, we knew what our plan was. And our plan was to graduate. Now, in St. Louis Public Schools, I was more, you know, I, I was at a school with 1,800 kids and there were six counselors and so everybody had 300 and so you had a range of alphabet. Like for the longest, my alphabet was L through uh, L through Q or L through R, and that was just who I saw. I saw them all four years of their, you know, of their time at high school. So I did it by alphabet there. But what I wanted to make sure, I wanted to go to a HBCU. A different world came out, and I was like, "Honey, I'm going to heal me," and they like, "That does not exist." that is not a real school you got to find a real school and i was like what do you mean they don't exist they on tv they got right. the little <laughs> greeks out here i'm going to hillman they were like no babe, that's just for tv but wow they're, they're taking it at hampton let's look at these schools mm-hmm. i got his counsel was a white man who was married to a black woman who had mixed children and he told mm-hmm. me you don't want to go to a black school you'll never get a job from a black school. yeah you'll never be successful at a black school. You need sure to did. make sure you go somewhere where diversity is really what's happening. And I was like, and I'm thinking to myself, ain't your wife black? Aren't your kids black? Aren't your grandchildren black? But his whole stance was no black schools, no black. So I only applied to black co- colleges. Wow. I only applied to black colleges. And I got into every school I applied for. But he had done some other things to make sure that I and other Hood smart kids, because I was very intelligent. I was in National Honor Society, I was in choir, I was in band, I was a cheerleader, but I was smart, so I fit in all of the world, but he didn't like me because I didn't come from what he thought a successful black kid should come from. Mm. And so he just would exclude me from stuff, or he would tell me stuff after the fact, or Um, Like, one incident that sticks with me, and I graduated from high school in 1991, so here we come up on 30 years later, this just stuck with me. Um, We, there was a group called the Kiwanis in St. Louis who give a $2,500 scholarship every year. I went to school, that was a whole semester. It was like $3,600 to go to college in 1991, where I went. And um, he, they were coming to interview all the kids under a certain grade point average. And my principal was like, "Why isn't Lysandra interviewing?" And he was like, "Oh, she's a cheerleader. They got a basketball game today. She's not dressed for it." Well, he never told me that. You know, that there was a game. I mean, that there was an interview. Because I wouldn't have worn my game attire. I would have brought something appropriate for an interview. My principal says, "Let her interview anyway." So I go in there, and I'm the only little brown face in the room. Everybody else, all the other interviewees are white. He's white. And all the people that I'm interviewing with are white. And I went in and I apologized for my type. Didn't know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And did the interview. We don't find out until awards day. That was like in January or February. Awards day is in May. Well, in May, they announced the winner. I won the scholarship. He says to me... I don't know what you said to them to make them think that you were worthy of this. And I said to him, because very, very, I I was terrible, I will admit it. I <laughs> you had a little mouth. It. You had a mouth. Okay. I understand. The Lord has yet stuff. to deliver me <laughs> from this mouth. I pray mightily about everything I say and think, because my face will say it if my mouth will not. <laughs> it sure will, all the time. Like I said to him then, um, whatever I said was enough. And whatever you did clearly was not enough I'll see you on the other side and I left come graduation time he didn't list my uh, honors and stuff in the in the program for graduation and I'm like you're petty you're grown up how you being this petty with a 17 year old child I knew in my heart of hearts I would never be that person if you want to do something you want to go to black school you gonna go to black school you want to go to a white school? We're going to go to a white school. You want to go to a community college? We're going to put you over there. You don't know what you want to do? Let's make a plan so that it's okay with your parents that you stay home another year and they're not putting you out. Because that's what is happening with our kids. They turn 18. You're not going to college. You're not going to the military. You're not going to lay up in here and not work or not go to school. you got to do something. Well, let's mm-hmm. go with a plan so that you can present this to your parents and that's who I it to be and that's who I have consistently been for my kids and my students because I want them to know everybody's not going to college this plumber over here making real good money in two hours today and he had an eight week program everybody can't go to college somebody's got to be a plumber an electrician a mechanic a dishwasher somebody got to own the McDonald's what's your plan how can I help you you know go. come up with this plan that works
0: yeah Wow, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was very thorough that was very thorough I too had a counselor uh, she was an African American woman in high school but she uh, I was a middle of the road student and I shared this with my students all the time um, I went to sorry but I didn't go to the best neighborhood elementary school Mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go to my community high school, and so I was fortunate enough to get accepted into a math and science academy, Von Steuben, uh, on the north side of Chicago, and so I had to travel by public transportation, rain, sleet, snow, hot days, on two buses,
2: 45 Right,
0: months. I was like, bus and train. <laughs> yeah, and so, um... <laughs> And then, and depending if I was going to my dad's house or back home to my mom, sometimes I did take a train. But my point is that I went to a school that had very, uh, a lot of rigor. And I share this with my students all the time. I was not prepared for that rigor. I was in beta club, honors this, everything coming out of eighth grade. And my first report card, my parents was like, you have lost your mind. Like, all D's really you go from all A's and B's like they didn't understand but they also my mother finished high school, she finished school in eighth grade my mother got her GED in her fifth I think she was 52 my dad did like mm-hmm. a semester of college so for them they didn't I don't think they saw the difference of levels of rigor and so um I struggled, but thank God for Upper Bound, Columbia College. Thank mm. God for an English teacher, Ms. Jones, who told my daddy on me because I didn't apply for it and just push, 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 right? You talk about co-parenting. I had oh. teachers that stood up when I didn't want them to say things. They said things, you know, but um, I, I, by I, my junior year, I had an 18, twice on the ACT. I had only a 2.6 grade point average because I now I needed to struggle mm-hmm. through this rigor Right, and to figure that out, mm-hmm. and uh, I applied for the Golden Apple Teacher Scholarship, which is an Illinois scholarship for aspiring teachers, and uh, very, very, very rigorous application. And my counselor was like, Well, I'm not sure, she wasn't discouraging intentionally, but she, her words were discouraging. Mm-hmm. And I really thank God today that I had the mindset, and I told her, I said, They got two choices, they're gonna say yes. But they're gonna say no, and I'm gonna go for it. And they tell you I had to go through interviews. I wish I could find those essays today. Back then it was on a word processor with a, uh, a floppy disk, right? And so uh, I, I, I can go to I can go downtown and get my essays. But um, they tell you after your interviews, look for a big envelope or a small envelope. Obviously, big envelope have more. And I came home. And um, there was this fat envelope. It was the only thing. And I lost my mind, right? (laughs) And so golden apple was the best thing that happened to me. And I tell students that when they have to recognize their truths to your question, right? And so um, I just ask questions, right? So what's involved in being an engineer? Because again, they are going to say what they think we want them to say, because Mm -hmm. they're, they're struggling with cultural dynamics. We all African-American or black, but they, they think that, they are so far beneath us as their educators. And I always try to narrow that gap as much as I can. And so when it's like, okay, I don't say like, yeah, you're going to be an engineer, but you're not passing math. Okay. What have you looked into? What's required? What kind of college do you need to go to? Are you willing to invest in that? Right. And I also let them know if, if high school, if you got to get D's to get out of high school, You have a whole new season once you get out of high school. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't have straight A's and B's in high school doesn't mean that that's what college will look like for you. Mm -hmm. And so, if you want to be an engineer, then we got to get you in credit recovery, blah, blah, blah. We got to get you out of high school first, Mm -hmm. but then what is entailed? And so, I show them what's entailed we go I turn my screen around all the time I got students behind my desk all the time and we're online and we're looking for this and we're looking for that and then they get to see it and then when they see the reality of it they'll say you know what I could do that what do I need to do and I always know if they're real when, if they follow up okay and I tell them nowadays I say hey I'm only going to work as hard as you're willing to mm-hmm. work I can't make you do it. So I, that's one of the ways I do it.
1: Okay. I've heard um, from both of you uh, as far as in this course of conversation, um, the parents, obviously your parents, you know, getting getting informed as into to your state, you pretty much snitching and calling parents, you know, whenever uh, folks are not do, doing right. How much support do you as counselors get from Parents, once you once you establish that connection, yeah, parental uh,
0: support—it's hit or miss in my experience. It 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 really is hit or miss. Um, I go hard when I have a supportive father. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. A grandfather. Like, I'm getting on his nerves, you know, Uh, (laughs) like having conversations. And and it's not hard to identify which parents are going to support and follow through. It's Mm -hmm. not hard. Uh, Parents talk a good game at the conferences, they talk a good game in the office when they're with their children. Um, but not most all you have to do is watch the students' face and, and their demeanor and you already know. but uh, so parent support is it's, it's hit or miss. and so what I try to do is I partner up with the parent right away. Mm-hmm. I partner with the parent and I let the parent know that, hey, this is what we're doing. And when I have supportive parents, I'm emailing them. I'm calling them. I'm like, hey, your girl losing her mind. I need your help. You know, this is what I'm asking you to do at home, right? And then those are also the parents that I'm sending other resources to. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand you lost your job. Hey, why don't you check this out? You know, the district has this going on, you know, so I'm always mm-hmm. trying to build that relationship. And then with the parents that aren't as supportive as I, I feel their student needs them to be, not as I need you to be, but as, your, as I feel your student needs you to be, I'm trying to figure out what, what does that parent need? And sometimes it, it is other resources. And so when I have parents that are not fully in for whatever reason, work, five, six, three other children at home, I'm asking them, you know, what can I do? And so uh, I forget the Latin word parentis, local parentis or whatever, which really means that in absence of the parent, we're the parent. And so when I have to make decisions for students, I just call those non-supportive parents. And I'm like, hey, uh, I, I made a connection. I got this guy coming here from Doc's Fish. He's getting ready to interview Anthony. Um, he's hiring on the spot. Do you have any reason that you can not get him there or pick him up at 11 o'clock at night? You know, like I I tell them what student and I are working on and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They appreciate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that for many parents that for whatever reason are not as supportive, I have learned that they do appreciate the work that we do to advance their child, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the non-supportive parent is not doing that. Doesn't mean that they don't want it for their kid. It doesn't mean that they they don't appreciate it. And so I, I try to make sure that I'm giving them what they need. And uh, I had one parent, she was like, If you got to beat his behind, Mr. Thomas, you do whatever you need to do. I'm like, Nope, not putting my hands on your child. My family <laughs> needs my check, ma'am. She's like, I'll put it in writing. I'm like, Nope, not doing it. But you know what? That young man, until this day, is a little brother to me. Mm-hmm. And all I would do is I would I would push him against his locker, and I would I'm I'm 80 pounds larger before than I am today, and mm-hmm. I would just lean in on his chest, just like like this, while his back is <laughs> on the locker, and he would be like, "I got it, I got it, I got it." And they turn it around, and his his mother and mm-hmm. father were so appreciative when he graduated from summer school. He mm-hmm. they they were so thankful because it is. That we do have to step up, and now I couldn't do that for all the students on my caseload, but all of them didn't need it either. Right? You know, so that's how I, that's how I look at the, the parental support or lack thereof.
2: Well, for me, like you say, it's hit or miss. Sometimes you have um, those parents who don't know how they're intimidated by you too. They're intimidated by the fact that you have a degree and you to teach down at the school or you to counsel down at the school. And so they don't know how to talk to you or they don't know how to interact with you either. And so you have to build a relationship with them too. And you have to make sure that you're providing the resources that they need without making them feel like they're less than you're always consciously aware of, what you're doing, how you're doing, what you're saying, and when you're saying it to the students and to their parents. Because if you don't, then you've created this you versus them kind of environment. And even when you try, sometimes you you create that environment of of you versus them. Or, you know, a parent will come in and want to kind of vent about what's going on um, and say, uh, well, you know, his dad isn't doing this or his mom won't allow me to do that. And you have to say, Hey, 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 I understand what you're saying. And I'd like to help you all, but perhaps if you'd like to go to this counseling resource we have. That's free. They can come here. You can go there. They can come to your house if you want them to. You have to have things right there on hand to be able to give them so that they can feel Better as parents because parenting, you know, just does not come with a menu, and you out here just kind of free willy trying to determine what's best for your child. And if you don't have formal education, if you don't, if you haven't, you know, graduated from high school yourself, or you barely graduated, or whatever there's a, a certain element of intimidation. And so you have to make sure that you're making people know, hey, I'm just a person just like you. I struggle with my children just like you struggle with yours. And what we are here to do today is what's best for your child, what's best for your house, what's best for your family, what's best in the long term for in this instance, in this situation. And so you go and, and you deal with those that you get and those that you don't. Like you said, you call and you say, hey, um Lasandra has missed four first-period classes. She's late every day, and if she misses four more, she's going to fail this class just on attendance alone. Can you tell me, you know, does she need a bus pass? Is, is it that, you know, she's got to drop somebody off? Do we need to drop this class for her right. to make sure that she doesn't right. get this F that's going to kill her grade point average and make it even harder when it's time for her to graduate? Is she never going to be here on time? Or is it just that y'all need an alarm clock? Like, what is it that needs to happen so that we can make sure that LaSondra in class, she's on time, and she's there and ready to learn without making parents feel like you're standing in judgment of their situation? Because if they feel like you're judging them, you can forget it. There's nothing you can say or do to come back from that. And it could be, you know, an imaginary judgment, you know, what they perceive you to be doing in their mind. But if, if they feel that way, mm-hmm. you can forget about it. And then some people just have that, that chip on their shoulder when they come into you or when they see you because of who you are. Are you black and you think you, you know, better than us, you had this degree and um, so so what? you. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with it, ma'am, you know. And occasionally you have to say, hey, don't let this degree fool you. Because I'm still from the south side of St. Louis. Don't do that, you know. But at the end of the day, you have to make sure you know, I'm, I'm just like being you. all these degrees, you will get up in here. Try Jesus. Don't try me. Don't try me. Because <laughs> I did. At one point in time, I threw paint. I don't do that anymore. But... You know, you have to just tell people, I'm struggling just like you're struggling. Right. You know, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, trying to figure out what's best for my own child. Your children don't think you know anything. You don't know. I, my daughter attends a school where I'm the principal now, and I will tell her to do something, and she'll say, that's not what my teacher told me. Girl, I told your teacher what to tell you. Like, are you kidding? And she's like, Really? So you're her boss? Yeah. yeah. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that. But two weeks later, we're having the same conversation. That's not what my teacher told me. Situation has not changed. She doesn't believe that I'm just mama to her. I'm just mommy, mommy, mommy. So I don't know anything according to her. So we all have this same struggle. Our kids don't believe You were ever cute, nobody ever liked you, and you don't know anything. So we're all in the same situation. Once you get past 30, it's it for you. You know, your kids are just so – when you can get to a point where you can relate to parents and you can tell them, I'm not doing anything to hurt your child. I just want him or her to be better, a better opportunity. And I know it's what you want from them, so let's work together. We're the team, they're the player. Let's put him on the floor and let him run
1: this 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 plane. Run the plane, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, you know, I, I I must say, you know, listening to to both of you is it is nice to hear what my takeaway from it is just the fact that the importance of putting the focus on the child or children. Um, and I think that is, I think that sometimes definitely in uh, co parenting situations, I think that can sometimes be what is lost. With that, what, what advice would you give to anyone who is lost? In a situation to where maybe they're they're you know they're in a co-parenting situation and their focus is still on the hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what would be the advice as a counselor that you would give? So in addition to what you
0: said, which I think is spot on, that the focus has to be the children. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife tells me all the time that my story is an anomaly. Um, I, I am the product of a divorced home and my parents co-parented and when my father remarried uh we don't use the term stepmother but my stepmother became my school parent mm. Because my parents both worked. And what was really odd is that, in my sight at least, my parents became best friends Mm -hmm. after their divorce. And so what my father did was, as was appropriate for my age, he walked me through their entire divorce process. And I remember, I think I was in sixth grade, and I remember being in school that day because I knew they were going to court. And I remember praying all day that the judge would make my parents stay married. Mm. And I was disappointed when that prayer was not answered the way I wanted it to. But what they did was they made the focus me. Now my mother had children prior to marrying my dad and they were adults, uh, pretty much by then. Um, kind of like, uh, Vines situation I'm <laughs> 14 years different between me and my sister and brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, What my parents did was exactly what you said. They kept the focus on me. Mm -hmm. And when my my other mother, my stepmother stepped up, she was just like, whatever, you know, and it it was that. And I had, they had three daughters, so I have three younger sisters. And so for them, the co-parenting was him. Now, I never knew what their issues were. Right. Mm. I, I never knew that. And so I would say to a couple or parents who are co-parenting uh, their child or children is that it's not about you. Right. And you it is not fair to your child or to your children to use them as chess pieces in the game of of, of vengeance or revenge. It's, it's not about you. And and if you can pull back your emotions enough and I've had to be this transparent with, with parents, you know, school, church, community, it doesn't matter sure. that it, it's, it's it's a shame that you would use your children as bullets in your gun to shoot at your previous spouse or the Mm -hmm. other parents. That is distasteful, is distactful, and it is not fair to that child. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of things, I teach children that the vast majority of what you're dealing with in life is not even your fault. It's not, right? It's not your fault. And so I I take those two dynamics and I'll, I'll tell the parents up front, I am teaching him how to deal with you. I'm teaching her how to deal and navigate with this situation. So if they say some stuff to you at home, don't punch them in the mouth. Call me (laughs) and come deal with me because I probably, like you said. I I, I may have told them. I may have told them to say Mm -hmm. that because I'm advocating for the child. Right. Now, I have had parents in my office doing counseling at the school and the kid is in class. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what it's about. If, if And so with the co-parenting piece, I stress that. It, your child is not fighting for you. And I tell people this all the time. I recognize this very early on in my career. By the time they're sophomores... Now catch this, if I would agree, I, I'm pretty sure. Sophomores get the least amount of attention in a high school. Absolutely. Yeah. Freshman is all about the transition. Mm-hmm. Juniors is all about testing day mm-hmm. for the high test scores. Senior mm-hmm. is all about the post-secondary plan. But what the average school counselor or school program misses is that when they're not in a two-parent home where both parents are their biological parents, by the time they're sophomores, I've seen it with boys and girls, Mm -hmm. there is this psychological, emotional yearning for the missing parent. And so when I'm dealing with a troubled Mm -hmm. sophomore that's like off their rocker, my first go-to is who lives in your house. Mm -hmm. Because I need to find out which parent you're yearning for, what relationship are you yearning for. And a child doesn't have rhyme or reason by their acting out behaviors. They don't. It's some psychological process. And so when I help them understand about that missing parent... And I helped the other parent know, well, he ain't no good anyway. You know, she a tramp, you a It don't have nothing to do with your perception of the missing parent. It's not about you. Get a girl the phone number. Let her call her daddy. If he break her heart, let him break her heart, and we put her heart back together. But she needs that broken heart or at least the risk because what if he doesn't break her heart? Right. What if he answers the questions that she needs? And so I, I push that. Don't use the child, right, a, a, as a bullet. If you're gonna shoot them, shoot him with something else. It's not with the mm-hmm. kid. That's not right.
2: Mm-hmm. My thing has always been, um, I ask parents very simply, you know, who who matters the most in this this three part harmony or whatever it is, four yeah. kids or whatever. Who matters the most? It's okay. It's my kids. It's my kids okay, well, if it's your children and you're sincere and saying it's your children, are you going to tell me that it's honestly in their best interest not to see their father as he abused mm-hmm. them mentally, physically, yeah. sexually, as he withdrew, withheld, you know, food from them, nutrition? What what makes him such a bad parent? Yeah. I'm not saying he's a good man. I'm mm-hmm. saying is he a good father? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if he's a good father, if he's present, if he takes care of their physical needs, if he is not in any way, shape, form, or fashion harming or abusing them, why would you keep him from them other than to manipulate the entire situation? That's good. Because if you want him and he doesn't want you, what would you tell your child? Mm. Come on You want somebody who Mm. don't want you. Mm. Come on now. You know you have to take your toys and leave the playground sometime, mm. and that's what it has to be. Because if you are genuinely in a situation that is going to harm your children, will you be the one to harm you? Yeah. Mm. Because ultimately, how did you grow up? Did you grow up with your mom and your dad? I mean, I, because now, now we're talking adult. We're just being adults. Did you grow up with your mother and your father? Did it matter? Did your father matter? Did the way men talk to you after your father matter to you? Because in the end, we all know that girls who are raised with fathers in the home are less likely to be promiscuous, less likely to be single parents, less likely to be in abusive relationships, less likely to be dropouts from high school or college, and more likely to be successful, well rounded people. We all know that boys who have fathers in the home. Are more respectful less likely to be involved in gang activity less likely to be suspended from school less likely to be in the prison the, the, the pipeline of prison less likely to be involved in relationships that in poorly so who's hurting the child is it you or is it her or is it you or is it him because if we look at it and we call a thing a thing call it and we call see it for what it is. Your relationship with him or her doesn't have anything to do with the child's relationship with him or her. Right. You've got to allow them to learn that a girl's first relationship is with her father and a boy's role model of a man is should be his father and if you're not a if you're not going to allow that to happen what are you doing to your child from jump you're handy you are handicapping your child i don't care if you get five wives five stepfathers, five step mamas you can get a whole harem of people What you're doing is showing your child how to live the rest of their life. Do you want them to live in that strife? Do you want them to live in that struggle? Don't make your struggle your child's struggle. Mm. Because at the end, that's what you do. You make your struggle your child. And now, you've created this generational dysfunction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And now, he or she is gonna make that struggle their struggle. Is that what you want for your grandchildren? Because if it's not, stop good.
0: Thank you for listening to our show. Make sure you visit our website at fathershould.org. Follow us at Fathershould Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Fathershould underscore PC on Twitter.